Jesus' miracles showed His love for His people, and He is still performing them today. This is the third message in the series, Reasons to Believe. This message is entitled, I Believe Because of the Miracles He Performed. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. As I mentioned a few moments ago, we started a series of messages entitled Reasons to Believe, and I want to continue that theme this weekend, talking about how to have confidence in Jesus Christ. We've talked about several things related to how we're to develop our confidence in who Jesus is, and I want to talk this weekend about the fact that we can have confidence in Jesus because of the miracles that He performs. Our focus together really is upon the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is a really powerful gospel. It's the fourth Uh, gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John gives us a unique perspective of Jesus Christ. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as I've shared with you over these last several weeks, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what are called or referred to as the synoptic gospels. The synoptic gospels represent sort of three gospels that are seen together. They provide an outline of Jesus' life and ministry. They're very similar in nature. They tell some different stories, but there's kind of a flow to them from the early days of Jesus' life to his death and resurrection and eventually his ascension. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke are unique in their own way, but they flow together. Matthew was written primarily for the Jews, so they would understand more about Jesus, although there's certainly valuable understanding for each one of us in that. Mark was written primarily for the Romans because it was a Roman culture that Jesus was surrounded by. And Luke uh, really penned his gospel, focusing primarily on the Gentiles or those that were of the Greek orientation. And so all sort of aspects of society were covered by the gospels. And certainly they all appeal and certainly speak to each one of us. But when John wrote his gospel, it was the last gospel to be written. He wrote in the early to mid-90s A.D., and so he's the last apostle living. Everybody else has been martyred, and he's the last old guy living. And he says, before I die, there's something that I need to do. I need to pen a unique gospel. He was moved by the Holy Spirit to give us the gospel of John. And the gospel of John is very different from all the other three because John doesn't start with a historical perspective of Jesus. He starts with Jesus being in the very beginning. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So John starts going all the way back before the beginning of time and describes Jesus in a very unique way. There are 21 chapters in the book of John. I've told you, encouraged you as a part of this series to maybe read one chapter of John every day, and in 21 days you can complete the entire book. It's one of those uh, books of the Bible that I often encourage people to read when they're a new believer because it really founds you, establishes you in your faith. So the Gospel of John is very, very unique. And there's one word that shows up time and time again in the Gospel of John, and that is the word believe. And when you and I come to John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, John lays out for us the the understanding of why he even wrote this gospel, what motivated him as an old man to give us this, this account of Jesus' life. And notice what he says here. Jesus performed many other signs. Notice that word. We'll come back to it in a moment. Many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may, what's the word here? Believe, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing, 
you may have life in his name. John says, the reason I gave you this book, there are many other things that Jesus did that we could talk about, but I'm giving you some of these signs. There's a key word there. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, in this gospel account. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So John says the whole reason that I'm motivated by the Holy Spirit to present this gospel account to you after all the other three have been presented. I wanted to add one more. The Holy Spirit wanted to impart to his people one more account so that without any shadow of a doubt, you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the Son of God and that by believing, you may have life in his name. As I mentioned, this word or this concept, this presentation, this Greek term for believe or believing, and when I uh, reference the Greek, the reason I do so is because the primary original language of the New Testament is in Greek language, the original writings of that. And so when we look back in the Greek language for the words that John used, he used the word believe or believing many, many times in the 21 chapters, but he always used it in a very particular way. He never used it as a noun. He always used it as a verb. Remember, we've talked about that, right? And so for John, believing wasn't something that you just possess. It was not just uh, like a, I've got some belief, like something you sort of put in your pocket and you've got uh, something that's sort of a possession of yours. But for John, the word believing was an action. Every time that John talked about believing, he's talking about doing something. He's talking about a belief that moves you forward with your life, a belief that changes the way you think, a belief that changes the way you act, a a belief that changes actually the way that you live. And so he's saying, I want you to have a belief that is active-oriented, that is action, that is moving your life in a particular direction toward Jesus, believing, having a confidence that he is the Messiah, the actual Son of God. And John uses another word that I want to draw your attention to. We mentioned it a moment ago. I'll go back to it right here, and that's the word. Say it with me. Signs. He says, Jesus performed many other signs. And the word signs is also a very important word to John. For that word signs really refers to, actually the original Greek word refers to the finger marks of God. That I presented to you some of the signs here. And I want you to see the finger marks of God. I want you to see that when Jesus did certain things, it was an assurance, it was proof, it was an extraordinary phenomenon, it was a miracle, it was a supernatural indication of something. The signs that are recorded in this book are recorded for the purpose so that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus, uh, John says, Jesus signs are really important. The finger marks of God are behind every sign or miracle that Jesus performed. And so it's valuable for us to take just a few moments this weekend and talk about the signs, to talk about the miracles that Jesus did. Because one of the reasons that you and I can be confident that Jesus is the Son of God is because He performed miracles. He performed miracles. He performed signs. People saw it and said, my goodness, that must be the finger mark of God. He did things that caused people to step back and say, well, my goodness, that's not something a human being could do. Only God could do something like that. And so you and I need to have confidence in the world that is oftentimes anti-Christ and anti-God. We need to be sure that we know who we believe in and are convinced 
of who Jesus is, the Messiah, the Son of God, by looking at the signs he performed. So I'm going to share with you tonight six things about the miracles of Jesus that you can learn through the Gospel of John. And by the way, through the entire New Testament, actually through the entire Bible, you can see these six very important lessons. And the way that I presented Each of these points, these six points to you this weekend, I presented them in the present tense. I'm not talking about the past things that Jesus did, because although Jesus did miracles in the past, I want to remind you that Jesus is still doing miracles today, okay? So everything I'll talk about tonight is not just something that goes back over 2,000 years ago. It is as relevant as this moment in your life right now. So let's dive in together. Are we ready? What do we need to know about the miracles of Jesus? The first thing that you and I need to know is this, that Jesus' miracles show us God's true character. That Jesus' miracles show us God's true character. The character of someone really represents who and what they are. And so it's important to understand who Jesus is. Who is he? What do we know about him? And what do we know about God from Jesus? And so when Jesus performed miracles, he was actually revealing a dimension of the nature of God. Now, remember the world that Jesus entered into. When Jesus entered into our world, he entered into a world that was primarily focused on Jews, Romans, and Greeks. The Jews had a certain way of thinking about God. The way that they thought about God was according to the law and rituals and religion and and, and a process of keeping the rules. And so they they thought of God as, as as a rule giver and they were the rule keepers. And so that's the way they related to God, by rituals and by rules. What do we know about the Romans? What kind of religion did the Romans have? Well, the the Romans, their religion was kind of all mixed up. They worshipped all kind of gods. They were polytheistic in their approach to worship. And they were also very oriented toward worshipping their Caesars. And so they had all this mixed up sense. They had no idea really of who the one true God was. And the Greeks were also messed up. All they believed in were a bunch of myths about God and had a variety of gods as well. So they were also polytheistic. And while the Jews were monotheistic. They believed in the one God. They didn't really know him in the perfect sense. They understood him from the basis of rules and regulations. And so Jesus comes into the world and Jesus says, I want to show you what God is really like. And every time that I perform a miracle, it's a way that I'm going to demonstrate to you the reality of who God is and what God is actually like. Notice Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the past, God spoke, this is to the Jewish people because it's written to the Hebrews. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has, what? Spoken to us, how? By, say it with me, his Son, okay, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The Son, here's what I want you to get. The Son, who is the Son? Say his name with me. Come on, you can do better than that. Say his name. Help me out here, church. What's his name? His name is Jesus. Jesus, the Son, is the radiance of God's what? Glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The writer of Hebrews, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, you need to know that when you see Jesus, you've seen God. 
When you see Jesus do something, you've seen that whatever he does is representative of the God that you know very little about. He came into our world to show us what God was like. Notice, if you will, John chapter 1, verse 14. The Word. That's who's the Word. Help me out. What's his name? Jesus, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen, we have seen, we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Again, John says you need to know what you've seen. You need to know who you've seen. When you've seen Jesus, you've seen a representation, the exact representation of the Father. He came from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. What did Jesus' miracles show us about God? Well, Jesus' miracles showed us that God is real, that God is alive, that God is personal, that God is loving, and God is kind and God is compassionate, and that God is not just a rule, uh, rule observer. No, God is relational in our lives. God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God is ever-present. God is available to all who will come to him by faith in Christ. Jesus came and said, I want you to know who God is. This is the miracle-working power found in relationship with Jesus Christ. Number two, the second thing Jesus' miracles teach us. We'll go into these, if you will. I don't even know what these are. I'm missing something. Here we go. Jesus' miracles, read it with me. Jesus' miracles, what? Attract people's attention. Here's a key word, attract people's attention. First of all, the miracles of Jesus show the nature and the characteristics of God. And then also, the miracles of Jesus attracted people's attention to him and to God. What do we mean by that? Well, when Jesus was born on the planet... I say that was a pretty big deal. Would you agree with me? Because the word becomes flesh and comes to earth. So God is walking among men. I think we'd say that's a big deal, right? Right? Okay. That's a pretty huge event. That God Almighty has now stepped down into our world and he's walking on the planet. I've been to Israel a number of times. and It's always a joy to go to Israel and to walk where Jesus walked. You know, there was actually a place that Jesus put his foot and dirt that he walked on and places he went. God became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, when he came into the world, there were some announcements of his birth. We know that Joseph and Mary received announcements, right? The angels visited both of them and told them what was about to happen. And so Joseph and Mary are kind of in on the process. They know what's going to happen. We know that the shepherds near Bethlehem, they got the message right. We know that the wise men got the message. So there were some people that got the message, the birth announcement of Jesus. But what about everybody else? How's everybody else going to know that, that God is now on the planet? How is God going to get the attention of all the other people on the planet? He gets his attention by the signs he performs. Would you agree that if somebody who's been paralyzed for 38 years, like the man by the pool of Bethesda, and everybody knows him who's been around that pool when he gets up and walks, would that be a pretty big sign that something incredible just happened here? That someone is among us who is different from the rest of us? And so these signs showed us revealed to us or attracted people's attention to Jesus. Notice John chapter 2, verse number 11. Actually, these verses are back here, I think, actually. 
We got them in the wrong place. Let's go back and see if we can find them. John 2, verse 11. See if I can find it here. Yeah. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples did what? Believed, Believed in him. So what did the signs produce? Belief. So the disciples were kind of wondering a little bit here and there, is this really God among us? And so when he did this miracle in Cana of Galilee, turning the water into wine, the disciples had their own little conversations. They said, my goodness, this has got to be him. It, it gave attention and credibility that we'll come to in just a moment. Notice the next verse. I hope this is the right one. John chapter 4, verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because, notice they did what? They believed in him. Why? Because of the, what? Woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. Who was this lady? She's the woman at the well, and Jesus had the encounter with the woman at the well, and he told her everything she'd ever done. He told her that she had been married five times, and the man she was living with now was not even her husband. And how did he have that information? He had that information because he was God. So he goes back, she goes back to this town that she was from, and she says, come, come on, I believe in him. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And that incredible? So the miracles led people to believe in Jesus. It got their attention. And so even today, when Jesus does a work in our lives, it draws attention to the reality of who he is. Every time God answers one of your prayers... Every time that a miracle happens in someone's life, every time that someone is transformed, there's a soul who is saved from sin and comes into salvation, and there's a situation that someone begins a relationship with God and things start changing in their lives, it draws attention to Jesus. It is a testimony of the reality of who Jesus really is. Let's go now to our third point tonight. Jesus' miracles authenticate his nature and his divine authority. This is why his miracles are so very important. To authenticate something means that you establish it as genuine. You establish it as conclusively, unquestionably certified. That when you authenticate it, it means it's the real deal. Some of you have uh, phones that whenever you pick them up, it recognizes your face. When it recognizes your face, your face recognition authenticates this as you, okay? If you try to do that with a mask on, it's going to say, I don't know you. I can't authenticate this is really you. You're hiding part of who you are, and so I can't really authenticate who you are because I can't really read those elements of your face. But once you remove the mask and you look at that little uh, face recognition process, it now says, oh, that, yeah, that's, that's the real deal. That's really you. And so it opens up that phone so now you can have access. So you need to understand that Jesus' miracles actually were the authentication process of his nature and of his divine authority. Notice John chapter 10. For I have been uniquely chosen by God. These are the words of Jesus. So he's talking to a group of people. He says, I have been uniquely chosen by God, and he is the one who sent me to you. How then could it be blasphemy for me to say, I am the son of God? If I'm not doing the beautiful works that my father sent me to do, then don't believe me. But if you see me doing the beautiful works of God upon the earth, then you should at least believe the 
the authentication, the evidence of the miracles, even if you don't believe my words. Jesus said, if you don't even believe what I say, pay attention to what I'm doing. Because what I'm doing is authenticating the reality of who I am. Then you would come to experience me and be convinced that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So Jesus' miracles put an authentication on the reality that he was the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. Then number four, Jesus' miracles reveal God's desires for us. What do I mean by that? What somebody does for you reveals not only the kind of person they are, but it reveals what they want for you. If I were to invite someone up to the platform tonight and say, look, I want to give you a check for $1,000. By the way, I'm not doing that just to be aware of that game. But if I were, it might say something about me. It, would be a, it might be something you say, well, that's a generous person to do that. But it would also say something about what I want for you. It's not just that it's all about me, but I may see a need in your life. And so what I, what I do is not just about me, but it's because I care about you. Okay? And so works of people don't just reveal something about their nature and character. It reveals something about what they feel about you. When someone sends you a card that says, I love you, I appreciate you, I'm encouraging you, that card that you get in the mail or that email that you get that's a word of encouragement to you, it's more than that. It's, more, it's a person not just being nice, but it's investing something in your life that says, I care about who you are and I care about you being encouraged, I care about you feeling loved. And so what I want you to see is that the miracles of Jesus were a, were, were a, were a statement of God's revelation of his desires what he wants for people. Every miracle in the Bible shows us what God wants for you. I was expecting a really big amen right there. I'm going to give you a second shot at it, okay? Every miracle in the Bible partially is there. It's there for those miracles are there for many reasons to instruct us. But one of the reasons that the miracles are recorded in Scripture is so God can say to you, that's the kind of God I am. That's the kind of stuff I want to do in your life. So every time you read of a miracle in the Bible, don't just stop and think of it as a miracle for somebody back then, 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 years ago. But think about the reality that God did that to communicate to me that these are the same kind of things he wants to do in my life. Isn't that wonderful to know? This is the kind of God that we serve. So the miracles of Jesus reveal God's desires for us. Take a look at some of these desires based upon some of the miracles that Jesus did. Let's walk through uh, some of the miracles that Jesus did. Actually, they're not on the screen here. I thought they would be on the screen. Let's see if I can find them. They're actually not here, but let me walk you through them. You remember Jesus turning water into wine? Have you ever run short on resources? Isn't it good to know that Jesus is able to take water and make it wine? I'll tell you a quick story. You ready for a quick story? 30, this, this June will be 35 years that my wife and I moved here to start Church of the Redeemer. When we moved here to start our church, start this church, we uh, uh, I didn't know anybody in, in Maryland at all. I had no connections at all here, so we were kind of coming uh, cold into this community to start a church. And of course, we needed a place to live. And if you've ever tried to rent a house from someone that was renting their house, wanting to rent their house out, and they ask you to fill out a form, a paper, 
one of the key questions is what is your income? Would you agree with that, right? That's kind of important to know, right? Okay. And so every time that we would go and apply for a place to, to rent, because we're starting a church here, we get to that point, and I, I, didn't, I, I would have to put, like, I don't know, because we didn't know what our income was going to be. We were kind of getting started, and well, there was no money. We didn't have a lot of, we didn't have any backers giving us money, and we didn't have any guaranteed income at all, and so it was all going to be by faith. And so it's kind of hard to put by faith on a, on a rent application. Okay. People don't like that. They actually like to see real numbers, which is really good for them. So I was, we went one day, I remember Saturday, we had driven up from Virginia Beach, and we were uh, going to different places. We looked at all the different houses that day, and, and nothing, nobody wanted to rent to us at all. And we went back, we were staying in a hotel that night, and so I remember going away from the family, so I just need to pray some, and just need to figure this thing out. And so I, I went to pray, and the family, I think, just went down to the swimming pool or something, and my wife and the little kids. I can't remember exactly what happened, but anyway, I was alone, and I was praying, and opening my Bible, and I opened up to John chapter 2, and I read the story of Jesus turning water into wine. And I remember the Lord speaking so clearly in my heart, I'm going to turn your water into wine. Now, what was my water? I didn't have any income, right? But the Lord spoke to me and said, You're gonna, I'm going to turn your water into wine. Now, most of us want it to happen like right then, right? Okay, we want like, okay, suddenly the phone rings and boom, there's a miracle. And, but no, we went back to Virginia Beach and about a week or so later, we made an application on a house and I received a phone call from this particular person. And he said, you know, I got your application. I remember talking to you. We want to talk to you about renting the house, but it's kind of, I have one thing that's really concerning me. I said, yeah, I can understand. At least I thought I could. One thing that's really, really worrying me I said, well, yeah, let's talk about it. He said, well, the thing that's really worrying me is that last year we planted some rose bushes in our yard, and we're really concerned that whoever rents it would be willing to take care of them. I'm thinking, I love roses. (laughs) He never once asked me about income, rented the house to to us. We eventually purchased that house from them. But what God did is he took water and he turned it into wine, okay? What I want you to see is that that showed God's desire. Let's take a look at some other miracles. These are, by the way, resources for you available at church-redeemer.org slash resources. All these I'm about to get. The healing of the official son. Remember the official that came to him and said, my son's sick. Jesus said, I'm going to go with you to your house. And and the official said, well, just speak the word and he'll be healed. And indeed, at the very same hour, the word was spoken, the son was healed. How about the healing of the paralyzed man at the pool of Bethesda? I talked about that just a few moments ago. How about the feeding of the 5,000? God is able to take a little and turn it into a lot. You say, I don't have much, but... Doesn't take much with God. He's able to take a little and turn it into a lot. How about Jesus walking on the water, the Sea of Galilee, and calming the sea and calming the disciples? That was a miracle. How about the healing of a man born blind? And the disciples says, Who sinned to cause this man to be born blind? And Jesus said, Nobody sinned. It's for the glory of God. And he healed him there in that moment. How about raising Lazarus from the dead? Here was a guy that had been in the tomb for four days. He's not just dead, but he stinketh. 
He's decaying. He's in trouble. He has no hope for coming from back to life again. And Jesus miraculously raises Lazarus from the dead. How about Jesus after he rose from the dead and his disciples are in an upper room in Jerusalem and they're all locked into the room and they're all afraid because they feel like the next thing that's going to happen is the Jews are coming after them and they're in this little room and they're all afraid and Jesus comes walking right through the closed locked door. He's able to get into the locked places of your life, is he not? Can someone testify tonight and say, Jesus got into a locked place in my life? I was trying to keep him out, but he got in anyway. How about the miracle, miraculous catch of fish that happened with Peter in John chapter 21? And Peter had been fishing all night and caught nothing, but Jesus said, just throw your net on the other side and you'll catch a catch of fish. Jesus knows where you need to be fishing. He knows how to make you fruitful in your life. But Jesus' miracles reveal God's desire for every one of us. Let's go to our fifth point this weekend. There's two more. Jesus' miracles help us better understand heaven. what, What does that mean? Well, it means this. It's so easy for us to become so preoccupied with this life that we lose sight of what happens after this life. Can I just remind everybody here that this life is not forever. This life is going to have a period upon it. In fact, if you go to any cemetery and you walk around, you look at the gravestones, you'll see that there are two dates, and the two dates are divided by a little dash mark, right? Whatever the birth date is and whatever the death date is, and there's a little dash right there, and that little dash is your life, okay? That's your life right there, that little dash. And so all of us at some point in time are going to die. That's why we need to understand that faith in Jesus is not just good for us in this life, but it's good for the life to come. It is, are you listening to me, church, this weekend? It is your ticket to heaven. I'll say that again. It is your ticket to heaven. And you didn't purchase it. Jesus purchased it for you. And he gave it to you as a free gift. You think about just having a a ticket to some fancy place or some fancy or amazing event, and you think how great that would be for someone to give you a ticket, a very expensive ticket to something like that. That doesn't even come close to comparing to the fact that Jesus gave his life on the cross so that when you and I put our faith in him, He says, now I'm going to give you RSVP. I'm going to give you a place in heaven for eternity. He promises that to us. Now, what is heaven like? So why do we even talk about heaven? What is heaven like? Well, heaven is heavenly. Amen? Heaven is heavenly. Heaven is a different kind of place. And and when Jesus was on earth performing miracles here, he gave us a little bit of insight in terms of what heaven was going to be like, what eternity with God was going to be like. And this should help comfort you, but it should also help encourage you if you have loved ones who've gone to be with Jesus already. You need to be reminded of what they're experiencing now. Don't feel sorry for them. Notice Revelation chapter 21, verses 3 through 5. Notice what it says. And I heard, this is John the Revelator again, the same John that wrote the Gospel of John, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every 
tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Anybody want to say hallelujah right there? Because isn't that what life is all about? You got a lot of tears. Anybody shed some tears going through this life? Of course you have. Anybody had to face the reality of some things dying on you in this life? Has there been any mourning in your life? Has there been any crying in your life here? Has there been any pain in your life? The Bible says heaven is a place where there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The Bible says he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and they are true. That is a little picture of what heaven is like. And so when Jesus was on the earth, Every time he wiped away a tear and every time he healed a sick person and every time he relieved someone of pain, he was saying, you know, I'm doing this here, but that's really what heaven's like. That's what heaven is like. Notice, if you will, John 14, 1 through 3. We're just about done here. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. These are the words of Jesus, by the way. Believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so... Would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? He's talking about heaven. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. That you also may be where I am. Dear ones, that's heaven. What heaven is, is not just a place where the Lord wipes away your tears and frees you from your crying and delivers you from your mourning and your pain and all those things and heals the sicknesses of your body. But the most beautiful thing about heaven that Jesus did for us, he opened up the way so we could spend eternity with him. I go there to prepare a place for you. That is so wonderful to be reminded of. That's right. Number six. Jesus' miracles... Read it with me together. Let's all read it. Jesus' miracles give us hope for overcoming our pain and our problems. I want to give you just a couple of last verses here as we're wrapping up, but this is perhaps one of my favorite verses in the entire New Testament. Hebrews 13, verse 8. Read it with me. Jesus Christ is the same. Yesterday. Do you have any stuff lingering from yesterday? Are you pulling along a little little carriage behind you that's your yesterdays? Do you have some baggage that you're still carrying with you from yesterday? Jesus Christ is able to go back into your yesterdays and free you from the pain of your past. Okay? See, he's not limited by time like you and I are. He's the same yesterday He's the same today. Let's stop. Let's just, let's just park right there for a minute. He's the same today. What are you going through in your life right now? What are you facing in your life right now? What are you dealing with that requires a miracle, that requires God to come to you and help you and assist you? I want you to know tonight, this weekend, I want you to be fully convinced that the same Jesus that we've been studying and talking about all these miracles, the same Jesus is still loving and caring and involved in your life right now. He still is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above anything you could ask or imagine. He's able to help you today. 
And God brought you here this weekend in this moment because he wants to remind you that whatever you're facing today is going to be all right. Whatever you're facing today, he has enough power to handle. But it doesn't stop there. Yesterday, today, and forever. What are you worried about for tomorrow? What are you worried about five, ten years from now? What's on your mind? What are, what are your anxieties? What are you concerned about for your future? Jesus has already been to your future. He's already provided for your future. And you and I need to have the confidence that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And our last verse today, John 16. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you want this promise on your refrigerator? In this world, you will have trouble. Oh, I'm just going through trouble. Welcome to life. Life is hard. Welcome to life. I've got some difficulties. Welcome to life. It deals it out to all of us. In, I've told you these things so that in me, in Jesus, in me, you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have some trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. As Jesus has overcome the world, you see his overcoming and all the miracles that he did. Every time he did a miracle, it was overcoming something. Are you with me? Every time someone was sick and healed, he he overcame their sickness. Every time someone was demonized and and he delivered them, Jesus overcame the demon. Whatever the situation was, every miracle that Jesus did was an overcoming thing that happened. The same is true for you and me that in the midst of our trouble, the Bible says we'll have many troubles and challenges in life, but take heart. That is, don't focus on your troubles. Focus on Jesus' triumph. Don't focus on your mess. Focus on the miracles that Jesus can do in the midst of your mess. Because the God that we serve is a God of miracles. John wrote these things so that we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, we will have life in His name. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Father, we're so very grateful tonight as we come before you. Thank you for the opportunity of being able to study your word, to share this time together. And I pray that in the mighty name of Jesus, that the words that have been spoken, the words that you've spoken to us by your spirit, the encouragement we've gained from the reality of the miracles you performed. Lord, let that build faith in our hearts. And I pray for anyone this weekend who's going through a difficult time right now, that they would remember without any, any doubt that you're the same yesterday today and forever. For that we thank you in Jesus' name. I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus... I know that that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. 
I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out, and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time.